This podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message from Pastor Alan Battle. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to your life, to you. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. A dishonest man spreads strife. And a whisperer separates close friends. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased, and turn away his anger from him. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then a gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of God. So before we begin today's topic of peace from Proverbs, I want to add a couple clarifications uh, from last week's sermon on family. Even though most of us here at Faith Bible are past child-rearing age, I believe it's important for us to have a complete understanding from Scripture, whether it speaks directly to our personal situation or not. My goal is to prepare us 
to answer those who are espousing views on the family that are contrary to what the Bible teaches. God's plan is for one man, one woman, and one lifetime to have children and raise those children together. Of course, there are going to be individuals that will remain unmarried or couples that remain childless, but they're the exception to the rule. So if we define family any other way than what the Bible defines it, then we are in rebellion toward God's established order. And we're living in a moment in history when attacks on the family are stronger and more organized than ever before. And the glaring example today is the organization Black Lives Matter, which is a radically anti-family movement that wants to destroy the traditional family from American life. They're Marxist, and they admit to being an atheist Marxist organization. It was founded by three black women who openly admit that they're trained communist organizers. And this is from their website. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and, and that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Collective is the key word there. So last week, I attempted to show that undermining the family is a very bad idea. Ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. And the majority of the victims of the sexual revolution are women and children. It's important for us as a church to be armed with the information that is so crucial in this time in our history. The other thing I wanted to clear up is that my goal in teaching this is in no way to condemn or to shame anyone who is, has had divorce or children out of wedlock. Um, some of us were forced into divorce against our will and were helpless to do anything about it. And every one of us has made serious mistakes, especially before we came to Christ. And even if we've made serious mistakes since we've come to Christ, there is complete and total forgiveness for those who repent. God's grace is enough to redeem any broken situation. He's the same God who promised to restore the years to the Jews that had been eaten by the locusts because of their disobedience. He doesn't want us to dwell on the past. He wants us to walk in newness of life and glorify him. As the Apostle Paul said, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize of God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. So my purpose for teaching on the family is to equip us to boldly proclaim the goodness of God's created order so that we and others might experience God's shalom, the blessings of his peace. So, if you go to Israel today, 
you're going to constantly hear one word, shalom, the Hebrew word for peace. It's used as a greeting and as a farewell. And people name their kids peace. Solomon means peace. Salome is the female version. And not only is it in Israel that peace is exalted, people highly value peace wherever you go in the world. And that's because the world was created to live in peace. But ever since the fall, peace has been lost. We were made for peace and we're forever trying to get it back. And Proverbs offers peace to those who will seek God's wisdom. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Remember, this isn't just following rules. It says here, let your heart keep my commandments. It is a heart that loves and fears the Lord that will experience his peace. And instead of planning evil, the wise man plans for peace. God's kingdom is characterized by peace. God is called the God of peace by Paul many times in his letter. In Zechariah 9, 9 and 10, there's a familiar prophecy about the Messiah who is going to come on a donkey and establish peace to the nations. And the fulfillment of that event is recorded in all four of the Gospels. From Luke 19, it says that Jesus was riding into Jerusalem and the people were saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Jesus is that King. He's the Prince of Peace. And in order to enter his kingdom, we have to make peace with him. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But once we have that peace with God, then we can begin to experience the peace of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. For example, when we pray, the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.7. So we have peace with God. We have the peace of God. But peace doesn't stop there. There is one more aspect of peace in our lives, in the lives of believers. The wise man not only has peace, but he becomes a peacemaker. Proverbs 12.20 Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. Christians are not simply the recipients of peace, but according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, they are also agents of peace. Matthew 5.9 Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, people often misunderstand the Beatitudes as things you must do in order to be qualified for the blessings. They say, well, if you're meek, then you're going to inherit the earth. Or if you're pure in heart, 
then you'll see the Lord. Or if you're a peacemaker, you'll be called the sons of God. But if we're saved by grace through faith alone and not works, then that cannot be how to interpret these. The Beatitudes aren't qualifications, they're characteristics. Those who are blessed in these ways are people who've already already come into the God into God's kingdom. So, if you're a son or a daughter of God, then you are a peacemaker. Today I'm going to look at three aspects of peace. I want to look at the need for making peace, the method of making peace, and then the power to make peace. So before you do anything, you should know why you need to do it, right? So the question is, why do we need to make peace? Well, the obvious answer is we need to make peace because the world is not peaceful. It's full of fools who stir up strife. And we can't just hope that we all can get along because all of human history says we won't. We need to recognize there's something in the human heart that keeps us from peace. Proverbs 16:28 A dishonest man spreads strife, the opposite of peace. And a whisperer separates close friends. So here are a, th- there are a lot of dishonest people out there disturbing the peace. And what is the source of that dishonesty? Look at Proverbs 10:18. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. The source is hatred in our hearts. And what is hatred? Is it just that emotional rage that we talked about a couple weeks ago? Well, it might manifest itself in that way, but in the Bible, hatred has a whole range of manifestations. And here, it's much more subtle. Here, the person lies and slanders. And slander isn't necessarily a lie. It can be the truth about someone. What makes it evil is the motive for telling that truth. If the intention is to make that person look bad, If it's to harm their situation in some way, then it's slander, according to the Bible. The same word is translated gossip in Ezekiel, and it is the same word used in Genesis when it says that Joseph brought a bad report about his brothers to his father Jacob. What Joseph told Jacob was true, but he didn't need to say it. It disturbed the peace, and it resulted in his brothers retaliating against him and selling him into slavery. And like my policeman father once told me, nobody likes a snitch. And that's true. So it's those evil, dishonest, lying, hateful people out there who are the problem, right? Well, not so fast. Every one of us hates his brother at times. How can I say that? Well, have you ever taken pleasure 
in the downfall of an enemy or just somebody you didn't like or someone that you envy, that too is hatred and strife. It's a breach of the peace, even if it's only in your own heart. We all deceive ourselves and we deceive others. Look at Proverbs twenty four seventeen. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Now this verse seems to say that God's not going to judge our enemies if we gloat over their downfall. But that can't be the meaning, because we know that God is a righteous judge and he will judge perfectly every single person so I think a a very possible and likely interpretation here is that God is so displeased with this sinful attitude in us that he will turn his focus away from our enemy for the moment and deal with our hearts and if we make peace if we don't make peace with our enemies we become like them. Look at Proverbs 24, verse 28. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. There's a lot going on in these two verses that's not obvious at first. If taken by itself, that first line is just a reiteration of the commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. But the second line fills in a backstory. This is a guy who has been wronged by his neighbor. And now he's going to retaliate. So even though he has to lie to do it, he's going to pay him back. Apparently the neighbor had lied about him. But if he does the same thing, then he becomes just like his bad neighbor. That danger was portrayed brilliantly, I think, in The Return of the Jedi, a Star Wars movie, when the Emperor tells Luke Skywalker that the rebel cause has been defeated and all his friends are going to die, Luke is justifiably angry. And the Emperor says, Good, I feel your anger. I am defenseless. Take your weapon. Strike me down with all your hatred and your journey to the dark side will be complete. But Luke refuses that temptation to become like his enemy and he doesn't go to the dark side. So we see the need for peacemaking because of the sin that resides in every human heart, including our own. But what can we do about it? What is the Bible's method for making peace? We all crave peace. But without the wisdom of God, we can never achieve it. We think that if we destroy our enemy, that's going to bring us peace. But that cycle never ends. There's a big difference between the peace that God can bring and the peace that the world offers. At the time of Christ, the world was largely at peace. They called it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But that peace was enforced by the overwhelming power 
of Rome's many swords. The communists in Cuba and Russia and China all promised peace to their nations. Listen to Chairman Mao Zedong, the leader of the communist revolution in China. He said this, When human society advances to the point where classes and states are eliminated, there will be no more wars, counter-revolutionary or revolutionary, unjust or just. That will be the era of perpetual peace for mankind. And how did he propose to achieve that peace? What was his method? He said, we are advocates of the abolition of war. We do not want war. But war can only be abolished through war. (laughs) And in order to get rid of the gun, it is necessary to take up the gun. Well, Well, today, China is ruled by a coercive government. A government that wields power. And power, as Mao famously said, comes from the barrel of a gun. And politically speaking, it is only through raw power that peace can be achieved. But in that era of the Pax Romana, a different kind of peace was spreading throughout the world. The Pax Christi, or the peace of Christ. And this is a personal peace, not a political peace. This peace is achieved by laying down our weapons instead of taking them up. It's accomplished by giving up our rights instead of demanding them. And it's done through loving our enemies instead of hating them. This is God's method for bringing peace. Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. We live in a world that wants to hear the dirt on everybody, don't we? The daily news... Facebook, Twitter, they're full of it. They all fuel strife through slander. And this is something that I struggle with personally by listening to political podcasts and looking at Facebook. It's so easy to get sucked into these controversies and it's so tempting to put in our two cents. We love to pile on to the enemy. But this verse says, do the opposite. It says, cover sin. And I wonder if the medieval theologian Thomas Akempis was prophesying about our social media today when he said this. We should have much more peace if we would not busy ourselves with the sayings and doings of others. (laughs) Isn't that good? It's just as relevant today as it was 700 years ago when he wrote that. Remember, slander is not false accusations, but simply bad reports from hearts full of hatred. So how does a loving heart handle this? It's by covering up a bad report. Now, does that sound wrong to you? When I hear cover up, I think of Watergate immediately, right? But those who covered the dirty deeds of the Nixon White House toward their Democratic adversaries were covering their own offenses. This kind of cover-up covers the offenses of others. 
We're not talking about letting people off the hook for committing crimes. We're talking about tamping down public strife. Love doesn't talk about other people's faults in public. But it doesn't ignore them either. In fact, if you're covering the sins of another in this way, you should also be going to them privately and confronting them because faithful are the wounds of a friend. Proverbs 27.6. I know that's a high bar to set, and I often fall short of it. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't all be reaching for it. And this kind of love is costly to us. 25.21 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. This goes against everything within us, doesn't it? I mean, aside from the monetary cost of giving food and drink to the enemy, the emotional cost is great. But it's what Jesus commands us to do. Also in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, love your enemy. And that's so counterintuitive. In Romans twelve seventeen, Paul had to remind Christians not to pay evil back for evil. We have to be reminded because it's not normal. It goes against the grain. In fact, I'll go one better. It isn't just hard, it's impossible. Who, in his right mind, is going to love his enemy? Well, the answer is the one who has the power of God to do it. Only the ones who have his power can do it. So how do we get that power? We get it by seeking out God's wisdom. Proverbs 3.13 and 17. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. That wisdom and peace are supernatural benefits of faith in God. The faithful Jew, he could experience this in the Old Testament times by fearing the God of Israel. But now... That supernatural power is available to all who come to God through Jesus Christ. Look at James 3.17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This wisdom from above is the wisdom to see things the way God sees them, the way things actually are. And that wisdom is only available through a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He died for our foolishness so that we might obtain his wisdom. We've seen this verse before in this series on wisdom, but it is key to understanding what true wisdom is. 1 Corinthians 1.30 And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. Not only does he give us his wisdom, he redeems us from sin, 
He gives us his righteousness and he sanctifies us so that we can become peacemakers. And when we understand this, we have the power to make peace with our enemies and to love them. We come to understand how much we have been forgiven, then we can offer grace and forgiveness to our enemies because they're not really our enemies. They are the victims of our enemy, the devil. And when we know that Jesus has covered our sins, that God is for us, and that no one can be against us, it throws our conflicts with other people into a whole new light. We no longer have to defend ourselves. We no longer have to get our sense of worth and dignity from our performance and what other people think of us. God sees us as having the perfect righteousness of Christ. And nothing that we can do or don't do will ever change that. So when you and I cover the sins of others, we're simply reflecting what Jesus did by dying on the cross and covering our sins. Thomas Akempis said it well in that same essay that I quoted earlier. He said, He who minds neither praise nor blame possesses great peace of heart. And if his conscience is good, he will easily be contented and at peace. See, we can be peacemakers because we are at peace. And the ultimate peace that we can facilitate as Christians is the peace available between God and sinners. You know, when there's tensions and hostilities between nations of the world, they send their ambassadors to negotiate for peace. And God has called each one of us as ambassadors to the world. So we'll conclude with that call from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. What a privilege to be his peacemakers. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in the midst of all this turmoil that we can be islands of peace. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your wisdom that we might continually grow in this understanding and that we might continually make peace um, in, in all the relationships that we have. Lord, that we might be your ambassadors to bring them to you. So we give you praise and honor and glory in the name above all names, Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, 
just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.